Welcome to Tough Love Podcast with me, Mairead Lockman, matchmaker, dating specialist and the founder of Love HQ Matchmaking. And me, Stephanie Wiegand, clinical psychotherapist and relationship specialist. Stephanie, this week we said we would talk about addiction and... I really think, you know what, it is way overdue. I think it was only a matter of time before we ended up talking about it. I see it, I unfortunately. It yeah, I see it a lot. Um, you and I have kind of covered it a few times in our in our own conversations. Mm-hmm. So I definitely think it's a, a good place to start. I think, um, like, I, we're always interested in the two sides of things, like you start at the dating end of the spectrum, and which I love, you know, listening to and hearing and all of that. And I think then for me, I'm looking at it from the other side and I see... I see alcoholism, kind of gambling, addictions of all sorts of different types, and we'll we'll delineate which ones we're going to talk about especially, but you see it at the beginning and then as it sort of hides itself within the relationship and then as it emerges again. And so there's, I think people struggle a lot with, you know, where's their loyalty? Where do they, how do they deal with this? What can they do? What should they do? Um, should I stay silent? Should I should I not tell family? Should I not tell friends? These are all very, very difficult things to navigate when you are in love with this person. So that's where we're going today. And I think it's kind of the elephant in the room in a way in relationships. It really because, is. Because it's, it's all, I mean, I always think the love journey is very silent. People keep their suffering kind of silently. And But I can tell you in addiction, it's even more silent. So that's where we're going today. Yeah, I also find a lot that when I ask people, why did you break up with your ex? Or why did something not work out? Um, it very often, like way more than people realize. People don't realize the amount of people that are affected by um, substance abuse and alcoholism and other addictions that we'll talk about as well today. So we definitely want to cover on that. First of all, we said we cover one or two things that are in the news this week. And I think that's important. Um, There is another very popular podcast. I was a guest on it previously, but they're actually covering sextortion this week. Um, They're talking about a guy from Leash that met a person on a dating website and then they quickly asked them to move on to a different social media platform. Um, They then asked, they then sent them, so it was a a guy that was the victim of the sextortion. So it was somebody posing as a lady. I don't know whether it was a lady or someone posing as a lady, but they Mm -hmm. then sent them a nude photograph of themselves and asked for one back. So the gentleman obliged. And within 10 hours, um, the sextortion kind of situation unfolded and they were asked for 10,000 euro. Now, Angarda Shiakona have um, actually only a couple of months ago um, launched their own campaign about people and seemingly sextortion is definitely on the rise. I suppose that the increase it's people having smartphones and the increase of people being able to share images quite quickly. So I just wanted, I suppose, to take it into consideration. I actually have previously asked Angarda Shiakona to be on my own podcast, would like to meet mm-hmm. to talk about it. So we're kind of working about that at the moment. But just to remind people that there is Coco's Law. Coco's Law came out in February 2021. Um, and it essentially means that you cannot share or even um, threaten to share, threaten to share any um, you know, intimate images of somebody without their consent. And to date, there's 72 pros- prosecutions um, from 49 investigations. And that's on the Garth Shikona website. And I just think that is great because... Mm-hmm. People don't know about it because it's not hitting the media. Because and that yes. is the great thing that the supports are in place. <clears throat> excuse me, the they supports are. are in place without if people knowing. So you know, I just think it's you know, Marie, I think on that, and I think it's it's really worth mentioning it. Um, but there's actually a campaign. I think an advertising campaign on the radio only this week has begun on 
um, exactly this, you know, informing, and it's on the, obviously intended to inform people who may even think, you know, that they don't understand that it's a crime to mm-hmm. threaten to post images or to threaten to expose somebody in that kind of an intimate way. Yeah. So there's a good campaign going on that. Yeah, can I mention? Can yeah. I mention one other thing that I, I th- just as we lean towards the. Uh, to, to the addiction um, issue that we're going to talk about today, that um, in w- women's aid, there's been a 16% increase in the rise in contacts to women's aid last year. And if you think of that in absolute terms, that's 31,000 reach outs. Okay. And well, I, numbers. yes, in absolute numbers. And what I found myself thinking as well was that I know from research that 40 to 60% in 40 to 60% of cases of intimate partner violence, substance abuse is a factor. So mm. that's why we have to talk about it. And uh, so let's go. So what kind of, let's just delineate first, Mairead, what kind of um, addictions we're talking about? Let's just talk for a moment about those before we go on into the dating part of it. The one that I see most popular Mm-hmm. When people say to me they had to break up with a partner or they have um, dated somebody would be alcohol abuse. I'd see a certain amount of drug abuse um, where their partners would have been addicted to cocaine, um, you know, maybe in quite a powerful or high positioned job in order to, to exist. Then from time to time, I'd see um, clients would talk to me about gambling porn addiction and again sex then they would probably be the top five but alcohol being the yes. most the most um like significantly higher i would say yeah significantly higher and maybe the most obvious yeah in some respects as well yeah no i would i would kind of agree um i mean i i suppose there's a there's a generic kind of factor in all of these like addic- addictive behaviors and how addiction shows up. So mm-hmm. in a way, we want to just be sure that people understand we're going to talk about it in the general way yes. because we're, we're not specialists in each of these, but we are um, we are never looking at it in the way it presents within relationships. And I think that so I would say maybe just one word, if I may, because we're not going to go into in great detail, but the porn addiction and the sex addiction. Yeah. It's really, it's really worth mentioning because people kind of go, oh, is that really a thing? You know, well, I think people... I always talk. question that. Is it really a thing? Yeah. Is that not just what celebrities say when they've been caught doing something they're not supposed to be doing? It would yeah. be my interpretation of it. But obviously, and I have spoken to you about it before, it is yeah. real. Oh, it's very real. And I've dealt with it a fair bit, actually. Um, wow. And and I was, um, I suppose, like everyone, it's 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 it was a little bit of a mystery to me. But, um, you know, in the sense that there's only a certain amount written about it. But it was very, very clear to me in. Uh, so let's say at least maybe five that come to my mind um, that what happens in, in sex addiction in and and in porn addiction is really that, you know, the dopamine release, the same it's the same principle. There is a dopamine release from just the the very, you know, uh, encounter, if you like, with the thing or the visual or the experience yes. that you are addicted to. So it's the substance. If you think of it, it might be the substance in the alcohol. It may be the thrill in the gambling. It may be the it, it may be the sensation, if you like, in the sexual and the feeling and all of that. So it's whatever it is that is bringing up this dopamine release. And so here is the addictive cycle begins. But with sex addiction, something I, I, I noticed very much is that it is as people are as compulsive about it as anything else. And and that 
sex is often, you know, not only the, the addictive factor, but often, often something drives addiction. I think we know that there can mm -hmm. often be something. There is the addiction mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. One thing begets the other. In other words, addiction, you know, the addiction has a self-perpetuating quality about it. But then there also can be emotional and psychological and historical factors that may be driving that addiction. And often with sex addiction, as I have experienced it in, um, you know, in therapy, what I see is that there is a low um, ability to connect and the connection, the emotional connection that is happening happens only in that sexual feeling, only okay. in that sexual act. And very often the um, it's not with necessarily a partner, but they will go to a sex worker for that kind of relief as okay. opposed to because it's something quite different to connecting in a sexual in the sexual way we know in relationships. So. Yes, um, interesting and very interesting uh, and important to know because I think some people will know in relationships again. Just sticking on sex for a minute, but but people will know that sometimes people can have sex without any feeling. You know, of course. Yeah. And the sex addict, addict in many ways is often is often having the sex to find some feeling. In other words, they can't connect any other way. And I would see that quite a lot in relationships and it can give off for a very, very difficult um, time for the partner, but who, who obviously is sort of under massive demand, so to speak, and and demand that isn't about connection, demand that is more about the self and the, you know, and, and their relief yes. and their world. It's not about our world. It's about their world. Is there so, a particular type of person that you see that kind of has sex addiction? Like, would you know kind of on a day to day basis or if you started dating them or would it be much further into a relationship that you would kind of spot the signs? I think the signs are very hard to spot, actually, because um, it's again, it would be about a certain amount. I mean, that's when I'm giving it from the point of view of having got right in there yeah. and, and really understanding it. I think in terms of what might be displayed in terms of the relationship, it may be just that the demands are very high mm -hmm. and don't feel connected. I, I think I, I think that's where it is. You you that's that would probably be what I would look at. You know, we take if you take it over to the porn side. I mean, it's the same thing of of all you know having this constant sort of compulsion to have and to do and to look. Um, so that's 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 what the signs you'd be looking out for. The same signs, and I know we're going to go into them, but it's you know lies, secrecy, and withdrawing. That's what you're looking for in addiction in general. In all so, addiction, yeah. It, yeah, it's a kind of a general thing. So so you mentioned like alcohol and gambling, and I suppose there is a bit difference there, isn't there? The alcohol, we, we live in a world of alcohol, don't we, in our social we do. lives? Yeah. So we actually see the person who, who gets who gets drunk all the time. Yes. But but I think I think when somebody has a problem with alcohol, again, we see the excess. We see the wanting more than anyone else. We see the not wanting to go home, always wanting to have the extra more. few. Yes. Let's go somewhere else. Um, the, well, the frequency the at which yeah. they, they drink. And the, free, and the night doesn't end. So I suppose they're the kind of things that we all kind of pick up or we don't pin them to the picture too much. Um, I was on the Drinkware website, so drinkware.ie. Yes. They were saying that 74% of Irish adults believe that excess drinking is just part of normal Irish culture. Mm. And we probably are slow to kind of pick up on it, but we can see it. You can see it in your practice. I can see it um, from being a professional matchmaker that there is a big problem there. Yes. Uh, and I think it is definitely something that we, we need to address. Well, you see, it's it's kind of a slightly 
when you when you say there, even you know, we've we've mentioned in other podcasts about people dating, say, excessively, even on a first date, mm-hmm. right? Now yes. the point is, the point is, it doesn't look that odd because in Ireland people do. Yes, right. Of course. Also, people in people, isolation. Yes. Yeah, people are nervous, and I get that. I understand that. So, if we recognise and acknowledge that we use it as a kind of a self-soother, you know that you then then you realise you're doing something maybe that you can control. But if yeah. you just if we just wrap it up and just say, look, oh come on, you know, you're just a dry, you know, you're just the, the party pooper, you know, you yeah. want to do anything. You can't let go. We've all heard it. You can't let go. You know, let your hair down. Don't be always, you know, who's yeah. getting up early. But the reality is. There are negatives. We have to say there are real negatives to heavy drinking before you. And and heavy drinking leads to addictive drinking. That's the truth of it. There is an ad at the moment and it's an ad for non-alcoholic beer. And the ad is, oh, is he training for a marathon? Is he pregnant? They were like, they're Mm -hmm. joking in the thing. And then it's like, oh, you don't need to have an excuse to have a great beer or something like that. Um, Good, Good line. But it is. Yeah, exactly. But when I actually, when I listened to it, I actually thought to myself, you know, of my own friends down through the years, if they were pregnant and they weren't having a drink, like I was like, oh, they must be pregnant, you know, straight away. Like there's no, nobody gives anybody the benefit of the doubt that they may have decided just not to have a drink that day. Even with the drink driving laws and everything like that, I like, oh, just leave the car. There's this like, you know, those people then you have in your friend group that they, they want you to just do what they're doing. So they're like, no, you will have a drink. I'll get someone to drop you home. We'll get a taxi for you. Mm. It's like that pressure, pressure, pressure. And actually it needs to become more socially acceptable that if somebody says to you, I don't want to have a drink. Yes. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. None of your business after that. They've made their decision. Mm. They're an adult. Um, and exactly. what I find when I'm matching people for matchmaking, I ask people, do they drink? I ask people, would they like to meet someone that drinks? Very often when I say, do you know, do you mind if they smoke? Straight away, people are like, no, very few people will actually date a smoker, if I'm honest, when they come to mm-hmm. me. Um, and obviously, we haven't even touched on smoking. It's, so they're like, no, I definitely won't um, go on a date with someone that smokes. And then we say, well, how about if they take a drink? They're like, oh, no, they actually need to take a drink. And so mm-hmm. if you look at the significance of it, the amount of people, and if you said to them, okay, that person I'm sending you on a date with doesn't drink, they're like, oh, like, why don't they drink? Have they got a problem? What's going like? So it's just the narrative in Ireland as well. Yes. And we need to be more conscious as well. So maybe even by listening to this podcast, the next time somebody says to you, I'm not drinking. Yes. Realize it's none of your business from that point mm-hmm. onwards. So don't be just asking. Accept just accept it. The other thing, the other thing that you're, you're touching on there is um, that if people want to drink a lot, they like other people to do it with them because it normalizes their level of drinking. So Mm -hmm. they don't want to go on their own and say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have three drinks and sit at the bar here on my own. That's quite different. So that's part of the push that Mm -hmm. we're all pushing each other to normalize it. But in reality, and I mean, a lot more is coming out on it in, in health terms, whether we like it or not, we all have to cut back. And I'm a great believer in that. Just cut back. Don't you don't have to make big statements about it. Just you don't have to explain yourself. Cut back, cut back, cut down and feel the benefit on your body. I think that a lot of people don't know what this, what the measurements are for a week or what is acceptable and what's not. I wouldn't have known until. I went on drinkaware.ie. Uh, so I went on. Well, I guess. Well, I guess. And you tell me if I'm right. Yes. Or maybe I am right. Go is on. It 17 and 14. 
So it's 11 and 17. So it's a, women, 11 standard drinks and men, 17 standard drinks over a week. Can I just say yeah. this is not a target? Okay. No. This is like the max you should be having to be somewhat healthy. This should be with, within a week, over a week. Yeah. Now, again, I really stress this is not a target. You don't need to be aiming towards 11 or you're not, you know, um, there's some weeks I would have absolutely none. There are weeks on end. Well, especially when I'm on call for the responders so I don't have any that week but there could be other weeks where I would have more than that say if you're at the races it's your birthday definitely my birthday week a couple of weeks ago if anybody saw it on Instagram mm-hmm. between, yes. <laughs> there was a lot more but a lot um, of glasses in those photos there was a lot of glasses <laughs> in those and they were all great fun but anyway yeah, um, the binge drinking is six plus mm-hmm. units or six plus in one sitting now what you might not know is three pints of cider is actually six is six yeah, mm. um, a bottle of beer is one. So, like a pint bottle of Bulmers will say it would be two, um, but a uh, but a bottle of beer would be uh, six, and then four glasses of prosecco, um, and that's from the World Health Organization um, yeah. statistics. So, so you and I know that absolutely oh everybody, on, yeah. everybody who is in their thirties, twenties, thirties, and forties in Ireland, almost everybody hits eleven in a week. Um, Stephanie, I'd say keep going. I wouldn't say, I'd say 50, oh, 60, 70. So it's like a lot more than that. Now, I must yes. say, I'm probably on the lower end. I don't like to drink alone. Like, so I definitely am a social drinker because I like I don't open a bottle of wine if I'm sitting at home. But I do know a lot of people that do. And there's, you know, it's just, it's people's preferences and everything. But yeah, they are just so, I suppose, what happens if somebody's listened to this and they're like, oh, I'm significantly over that. Like, what if, like 11 standard drinks. So there's four glasses of wine, we'll say in a bottle yes so like that's and like that's if you're actually measuring your glasses yes so what happens if somebody is listening to this right now and they are you know thinking to themselves oh my god where do i start so there's two things if you're thinking for yourself number one you Mm -hmm. i always refer people to the websites be at the HSE website yeah. or I tend to also use the Rutland Treatment Centre website because they have really good um, sort of sheet, you know, information sheets. Yes. And just do it silently. Have a look, read it and see where you fit in. Mm-hmm. Check yourself. Now, people should check themselves and or their partner if there is sort of just a greater and greater demand for the drink more and more excuses why we should drink. Mm-hmm. Does it impact you at the, you know, the next day? Is that frequent? Is it is it intruding on your work? Is it impacting your relationships with your family, with your friends? Are people saying things to you like you were really hard to deal with last night? Mm-hmm. You These are your these are your big warning bells and when you catch these things at the beginning you have a much greater chance of sorting things out and so when we go into a relationship with that then they are the kind of warning signs if you like in that in terms of the person that you are dealing with yes are they unreasonable with you are they moody with you are they hiding things from you are they being secretive are they are they inconsistent and do you see a change? I often think with that, with, with when people are addicted, you see, they have a, a tendency to have a shift in mood that you don't understand. Yeah, I can totally agree with that. I previously dated somebody that drank in excess. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't realize is that while I was dating him, we might open a bottle of wine on a Friday evening while we'd be having a takeout. And... You know, I might have a glass, you know, we might open a bottle. I thought we were drinking maybe 
a, a bottle between us and a glass. So three glasses of wine each throughout the evening. Okay. Yeah. But when I actually, it wasn't until I moved in with him that I realized that actually there was three bottles of wine being drank each night minimum. And so what I actually found was there would be one or two bottles of wine put on the kitchen table, but there was a third floating bottle that I didn't know about, but they were all the same. So we'd have our takeaway, we'd go into the living room and then throughout the night he would come in and top up my wine or he'd go back out, you know, or whatever was going on. But anyway, there was a, a, a trickery of hands is what I would say. And it wasn't until I was actually living in the same house and that I realized the extent of the wine that was being uh, wow. and other and other alcohol. It then came to the stage where I used to have to talk to him and say, can you please, like if we were going somewhere, please, I don't care what you do today, but please just don't start on the whiskey because I knew the whiskey then just drove him crazy altogether. But mm. at one stage I did say to him, like not one stage, a hundred times I said to him, this is out of control now. Like it's out of control because it started on a Friday night, but then all of a sudden there was reasons as to why we needed to have a drink or celebrate on a Saturday. And then the same thing happened on a Sunday. And then it would just you know, randomly on a Tuesday, there was something to celebrate. And then a Thursday and then, you know, it's just got to, too much. And eventually for numerous different reasons, and that being one of the main ones, I did break up with him. But he obviously said, you know, can I'll sort it out. I'll get better. All of these different things. So I suggested that he would go to an AA meeting. And it was really then that I realized the extent of it because he said he was going to go, but lied about going because his reporting back was that the guy at AA had said that he regularly comes across like ladies that are, you know, a little bit um, sensitive or like, you know, blowing things out of proportion and that they didn't have a problem at all. And now he probably went to them and said, sure, I only have two bottles of wine a week, like all week long and I'm working Mm. hard working man and all that sort of thing, you know, so either he didn't, he didn't go, he lied while he was there, but it was then that I realized, okay, this was is a problem. much bigger than, yeah, than, yes. than first we thought of. And I think if, if I can, um, I think, your, you know, your, your example there of your own and your own mm-hmm. story, what it really, it, what it, it makes me think of are the excuses to drink. Yes. Right. It's always, in a, always a good reason. It's always a reason we can find to drink. It's Monday or it's Tuesday or it's the midweek or as you say, it's the weekend or yeah. it's nearly the weekend. Or it's there. It's in the or, house. Yeah. Yeah. I deserve this. We hear all of that. Absolutely. But the thing is, there's also good reasons not to. Very yes. worthwhile thinking of the reasons it's, you know, that reasons it's worthwhile not drinking. Anyway, we're not here to turn people off drinks. So I'm no, not going not. to go down that road, but that's something I always think. Think of the reasons you, you don't need to drink. Mm-hmm. But what you also pointed to there was that when when you're in a relationship, you're a smart girl. You got into a relationship with this guy, but it was really only when you got to the time of living with him that you began to see it. So people have to be kind to themselves. All of this is not perfectly apparent day one. You can no. find yourself, you like other red flags we've talked about, you you know, you're drinking, you're both out, it's a date, then there's more dates, you're going for dinners. So all sorts of nice things happening. Drink is part and part of Irish culture, so it can get lost in there. So you have to have your eye a little open. Absolutely. And then you find yourself, so it's only really as it advances or as, as some normality comes into play where there where you're not out and about all the time. And then you begin to notice that drink continues to be present, ever yes. present. And that's what you picked up there. And, yeah. and I think there'll be many, many shapes of that in people's relationships. And of course, what can be very difficult in, you can imagine in, in years ago, before my time, right, when mm-hmm. people never lived together, 
before people, you know, married and didn't live together, they didn't get a chance to absorb that. So people with huge alcohol issues, um, you know, it only became apparent when they married and when they were within that house on their own. So so I just say, don't feel bad about not spotting it because sometimes you can only spot it a little down the road and keeping an eye for things like you did there. Of course. And also as well, so say in that position, like and very often you see this, when somebody has dated somebody previously and it has been an issue in a previous relationship, the chances are they get very good at hiding it. And so therefore they yes. are, do take a lot longer to let the mask slip. So it was only like when we were living together and it was actually only when I started going to the bottle bank that I was like, did I not go to the bottle bank last week? How many bottles of wine are here? Oh my God. And I kind of checked myself. And then I was like, no, wait a second. There was that night, that night, that night. And I only went last Thursday. There shouldn't be this amount. So, you know, it's it's sometimes it does take the bigger picture to see the smaller picture. Correct. And the other thing is of what you have mentioned there. I mean, something you whether it is gambling, whether it is alcohol, whether it is porn, sex or any of the other addictions that we have mentioned there. I suppose I think of cocaine, uh, particularly because I see that a little bit with people, especially in relationships, um, Mm -hmm. that denial is the first it's, it's one of the biggest sort of psychological defenses that the addict has. Total and complete denial. They yeah. deny it not just to you, but they're denying it to themselves. So that's where you're in a, a sort of a like a turnstile with them. Yes. You're a psychological kind of turnstile. They're 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 just they can't they, they find all sorts of rational reasons why they are drinking or are gambling or doing the thing that they're doing because they may need to or they, you know, so they have a little internal narrative that they're telling themselves. And when you question it and you say, sorry, was that three bottles we had last night? You know, they're they're as they have loads of strategies to deny that to you because they've already been doing it to themselves. So that's why when if I if I if I may interject it here, but when we, in a clinical sense, deal with the addict in, in any of these kind of ways, the first thing we try and do is draw together some clean, clear facts about what people actually are drinking or yes. are doing in the gambling sense, how much money has been gone, how many lies have been told, where are the absolute lies. That's why there's always a family member or a loved one asked to come in, which isn't always easy. So until that is done and the person is sort of confronted with their lies, lies, which are really the denial to themselves and to others, then and only then can you get forward a step. And remember, nobody can will receive help until they want to themselves, until they are challenged to do it and or it becomes worthwhile for them to do it. And I know that everybody listening to this podcast will have heard the, the the term. You have to go down before you come up, and you have to hit rock bottom. Rock bottom is a big, a big term in in addiction sense. And I think really what we're saying there is often the denial is so hard to get through that often they have to get to the point where they've used up all their options, all their money. They've they've ended their their their, their relationship has been, you know, damaged in so many ways. And eventually, people just say, "I'm done." with you. And when you are done with them, then they have to think differently. So I'm not saying that's the end of the spectrum, you know, but that's the sort of horizon, if you like, of addiction. I think it's important maybe we talk about this in stages of the relationship, like the early, you know, stages, the mid stages and the long term stages. So, you know, if somebody is in the early stages of a relationship and they see that 
there is patterns there, whether it's drugs, alcohol, gambling, sex, whatever it is. Okay. If you are noticing red flags quite early on and like, let's face it, your body's going to be flooded with dopamine and everything at the beginning stages anyway. So it is going to be slightly harder to see it. And so sometimes you are in a little bit further than you would like. But even if you are five months in, six months in, like a red flag is a red flag. So it's important to see them. Yes. Um, if what would be you know what would you do or what would you say to somebody that might come to you and say look I have and which we did and by yes. the way this is why Absolutely. we're talking about this today we had somebody come to us to our private session so mm-hmm. you can book a session with myself and Stephanie together on toughlove.ie and we actually have them at half price for mm-hmm. the month of June months of June and July but um, you know we had a lady come to us she is in the early-ish stages of um you know, of dating somebody and she has noticed uh, addiction issues and, you know, yeah, what what would you say? You know, the advice for me is very clear. Listen to yourself. Don't make excuses for what you see. Write it down because that uh, objectifies it, objectifies it a little bit. Um, And also because if a person is addicted or heavily drinking, they will be, as I say, combative in denial. They will uh, say, oh, you're being too sensitive about that. And, you know, your father drank and maybe you're just, you know, a bit this or your last boyfriend was like that. And that, that's not me. And there's lots of ways to sort of, you know, diminish what you're saying. So write it down. Take note. Uh, I always try and help people to see, you know, it's not your job to fix your partner. It is their job to fix themselves. But what you can do and what is part of your role in any relationship is to ask for a change in behavior. So as part of that, you're taking note, you're, 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 you're taking note that you're not comfortable with the drinking level, for example. So you write it down so that you can think about it a little bit, like you're out on Saturday week at the wedding, at the dinner. Uh, well, Tuesday night we were on our own and you put down all of that drink and you say, you say, this is what I want to talk to you about. I just want to talk to you about the level of drinking that's going on. And I'm not really comfortable with it. It makes me feel like we might be going down a bad road and um, and listen to what is said to you. Yes. Um, and say, I'm not comfortable with it. So, you know, if we're going forward, it's a, you know, it's a money thing. It's a health thing. It's a, we all know that the addict becomes unavailable to you emotionally. And, uh, and you're moving into a world of volatility and all of that. So you're protecting yourself by having these conversations. So it's straight up. You're looking for a change in behavior. Um, I think at that stage as well, given their response, I think yeah, yeah. their response will tell you an awful lot. Sometimes I use myself personally to check myself as to kind of where I am in my life. Would I be happy with this to be the same situation this time five years? Because mm-hmm. sometimes we feel we're very far in when it's only four or five months in. It's, it's very relatively small. Um, and also I think as well, would you be happy if you had a son or daughter for them to be that exact person? Yeah. And so it's no harm. I just find them little just kind of measurements to check myself sometimes when I'm trying to figure out what my own boundaries are, which I think is no harm. Can I say to you as well that you often are, you know, people people think it's all harsh calling people out. But you see, I see it as a very, very helpful thing. I see it as a very positive thing. You're really you're ringing a bell for that person and saying, you think your drinking is okay, but actually I don't think it's okay. So let's talk about this. And you're what you're doing is instead of letting it slide in this sort of non-confrontational space where they're where they're able to slide along drinking more and um, get it, you know, maybe, you know, getting drunk or behaving in ways that you're not happy with when you're in company or otherwise. 
um, instead of letting that slide, you're calling it out early. And by calling it out early, you're giving them a chance to fix it if they can fix it. You're also maybe stopping it from sliding into an even bigger problem and you're protecting yourself. So there's yeah. loads of good things about call it out early. Um, I, I used to, if I may, you know, I used to do this a lot in the workspace because um, I used to provide services in the work context. And so it was a big thing to help both employers and uh, supervisors and wives and husbands and colleagues to call out the behavior when it went wrong. And one of the first things that we, for that reason, because I have that benevolent kind of thing around it, that it's really helpful. But also I would say to people, look at, you know, they would say, well, I'm not sure. And I, I don't want to be accusing people or, you know, I don't want to make a mistake. Well, you always look for a few things. You look physically to see the changes. See, see, is the person physically declining in some way? Mm -hmm. Are they psychologically declining? Are they not? Are they not on their best par? You know what I mean? Are, yes. they, are they? Are they moody? Are they? Are they tired? Are they? Are, uh, do they look depressed and anxious? So, which yeah. is obviously you're going to be if you're have overdoing uh, it, substance yeah. abuse. Yeah, exactly. And and are you? Are they being productive? Are they? Are they getting things done? Or is everything an excuse? So yep. there's some of the things, their behaviours you can call out. I think it's also important that you're able to have these conversations with your significant other because we're very bad, I think, in some senses in Ireland at communicating. So actually, you should be having conversations. You should be having awkward conversations with your partner. If you can't talk to them about this, maybe that's another area that you need to look at within your yourself, how you communicate and also how you communicate in your relationship. But I also think as well, and this is the other side, Stephanie, that we maybe underestimate mm -hmm. people that are have addictions are not the most approachable when it comes to their addictions. So maybe their reaction when you do communicate with them. And that's one thing that I definitely would notice anytime you try to have that conversation with them, like you really would want to be ready. Like you sometimes have your suit of armor ready on. Back. They will yeah, push but back. They will. And it's like, it's kind of like when it's the narcissist, but I, they're not always a narcissist. It is just the being backed into a corner sort of oh, yeah. thing. Yes, protecting um, the addiction. So yes. like it's one, the reaction. And I think that's very important to be prepared for the reaction. Um, and I think that tells you a lot as well by the reaction. And mm -hmm. then second of all as well, I would say is their intent to fix it. So if they're just like, you're you're talking shit basically, or you're not, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't, this is, you're, this, you're pulling this out of the sky now, it's ridiculous, you know, yeah. um, or you're trying to control me or whatever narratives, look, I heard them all down through the years. But, um, you know, any of those things, I think it's really important to stick with it. You know, just be comfortable yeah. in yourself to, before you start the conversation. Well, I think you're saying, and I think you're very right, that people often don't confront in any way because they're afraid of the reaction because they probably know there's going to be a reaction. Mm -hmm. Probably have had a little version of it before. That's why I say write down all the examples, have them. It's your proof. It's your yes. concrete proof. And you can talk about the piece, what you have on the piece of paper, rather than making a judgment about their drinking. You can just say, "This, do you think this is a good amount? Is this a good amount? Would you see that as normal? Because I wouldn't. You know, mm -hmm. so you're talking about the piece of paper, so to speak, as opposed yes. to 
uh, making very personal judgments and statements about the person, which can get into hot water very quickly. So I think that, but the but the confrontation has to happen because this is your life, this is yeah. your home, this is your space. When if you can't close the front door and feel secure, safe, and at peace. This this is something you have to deal with. And the part you have to play is not just that you're in a relationship with somebody who may have an addiction, but you have to find a way, a safe way, of course. But we're talking at the early stages here to bring to the table the discussion about mm -hmm. alcohol or gambling or money or what's being looked at on the computer or indeed the sexual demands that feel wrong, that something feels odd. You have to bring that to the table because that's how you fix things for yourself. So in the early stages, I think, you know, some you talked about dating. Some people are nervous. So there's a fair bit of drinking. That's fine. We're talking now about probably moving along three months, six months. Relationship, so yeah, the early yeah. stages. For if they're not willing to, yeah, if they don't have the intent to fix it or if they're, you know, you're not comfortable with their level of drinking, their level of drugs, their level of yes. whatever. If uh, Realistically, I don't know if that's your person. I mean it kindly, you maybe need to look at it, but I don't know if that's your person. Oh, yes. Because if your person, if yeah. this person is not prepared to own their issue. No, they're, you're, I just, you're, the road, is, to to the road is going to get bumpier, not smoother. Yeah, it does. Mm. Yeah. Um, moving on then to like, the mid stages. So like we would have seen a lot of this we'd say during the lockdowns yes. and everything where um, people were in established relationships, you know, they had their own lifestyle, they had their own routine, they had their own kind of outlets, like they went to play sports, whatever it is, the gym. And all of a sudden, perhaps they were now drinking from home, the weather was fabulous, um, they possibly lost their jobs. We saw a lot of people that were maybe the main breadwinner all of a sudden had no job. Um, yeah. All of those things, or maybe in the case of, you know, somebody has died, they might be grieving, there might be something going on in their life, they may have developed a mental health issue or something. And so now now, midway through their relationship, there's now definitely a noticeable increase or they have absolutely developed a full blown addiction. Yes. What, is, the, is the advice different at that stage or what would be your advice? Uh, I don't think it's I don't think the advice is very different, but it's more complicated because okay. now you've invested your life. You're uh, together for a long time. I think you're absolutely right. People's people's. Um, Addictions got a lot worse in, in lockdown. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're seeing that seeing that more emerging later. You know, it's a bit like even the medical the on the medical side, you know, that there was sort of a the sort of a surge in 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 issues that were undetected during the yes. pandemic. And in a way, there's a little bit of that, I think, in the mental health sphere as well, and in the addiction sphere, that things uh, got set started that have now developed into full-blown mm -hmm. issues. Is the what would I say to, to what would I say to somebody who is uh, twenty years in, you know, twenty years, fifteen, yes. twenty years into their into their yeah. marriage dash relationship, children on board, um, combined finances and everything. Um, I would say uh, first off, very same things. Listen, write down where you are. I would um, I would encourage them to those websites because that helps you to distance from what you're seeing and to make a judgment. But I would. I would encourage people, particularly spouses or partners, to look at the Al-Anon aspect of things. That is, yes. they are support group. There's, you know, the support for for what we call the person who is who is living with the alcoholic in that. Yes, instance. but there's similar things for gambling. And but you have to decide 
And people can, you can still love the person who has built an addictive behavior as long as they're prepared to take responsibility for it and not damage you because mm -hmm. that's your part. You have to look after you. Um, the treatment centers are excellent. There is great, there's great opportunity for recovery here and people do recover. But you have to remember that addictive behavior drives addiction, you know, so yes. one thing begets the other. It's like a circular, it's like a circuit on an ESB board. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to, something has to be cut. It has to break. The circuit has to break and yeah. otherwise it's self-perpetuating. And um, in the electricity sense, that's a positive, but in the addiction sense, that is an absolute negative. Okay. And so usually, usually what breaks it is that the person that person loves, which is you, the person mm -hmm. we're talking to today yes. says this far and no further. This has to stop. This has to change. Together, we're going to look at this and I will support you as long as you take the right steps. Mm -hmm. That that happens every day of the week in every treatment centre in Ireland. In every workplace in Ireland, I can tell you somebody is confronted with this is their 14th Monday where they can't pitch into work. I know. Remember, all this remote working allowed all that to be hidden. So lots of things like that. So for the person at home, you can imagine if you had remote working and your partner was an alcoholic or a gambling addict or any other other kind of addict, what this would have been like dealing, dealing with all of this at home. We gave a lot of advice around that time. And the biggest thing I have to say, and I know it helped people, I always said, stop fixing it. Okay. It's not yours to fix. You just mind the children, mind yourself, keep the house peaceful and let this person deal, push the responsibility for this problem back to this person. Mm -hmm. And I know that seems simple at one level, but it's an, it's an important delineation of where your energy must go. Yeah, I think that's really good advice because um, it is a very difficult situation to be in. Like, you just don't know what to do. You don't know whether you should be. You don't, Like, I'm not the sort of person that would be a naggy person. So you don't know whether you should be the nagging person or should you say the responsibility is on you. And I think part of it as well, you have to choose yourself. Like, is this the life that I want for myself long term? Um, and if, you know, conversations, if you can have the conversations, great. But if you if the conversations are kind of along the lines that you're crazy or you think too much into it or whatever. Your problem. Yeah. Yeah. I like that's not them coming up to to, to meet the, the problem. You know, that is absolute denial or it's, you know, it's, it's and it's a huge reason hiding. People, yes. Huge reason, Mairead, that people, you know, leave each other yeah. because uh, if a person won't carry the problem, deal with the problem. Um, once confronted. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why confronting is important because it gives people the opportunity to fix it. And lots and lots of people fix that problem. You know, I'm a very hopeful person. As you say, you're not a nagger, but I live, I've definitely got a very positive sort of outlook. Yeah. And, uh, and I've, I've, you know, I know lovely people who were quite destructive addicts and who have found their way back to normality. And it's not an easy road for them. And they're also lovely people. What in the case of a certain level of codependency, you know, the way we hear these things of yes. they're a functioning alcoholic. To me, what a functioning alcoholic would be now, it could be the wrong definition, but mm -hmm. to me, a functioning alcoholic is they get up and go to work. But when they come home in the evening, there, you know, would probably yes. be excessive drinking at that stage. What happens when um, there's that kind of going on, that it's like mm -hmm. they're just going around in a circle basically the whole time? 
almost in a semi-unhealthy circle. Yes. And um, well, the codependency thing really, uh, you know, refers to, to the fact that the person who is living with somebody who is addicted becomes, they kind of have an altered perspective and they they find a way, they, they sort of find a way of, of um, excusing that person's behavior. So they've become not the note taker, but rather the facilitator without meaning to. Because yeah. I, I don't, I often don't like the codependent phrase. It's funny. Yeah, I don't either. It's I think more it's saying something bad. It, it sounds like it's saying something bad about the person. Whereas, I mean, I've, I've dealt with women and men, you know, where men who've been married to women who are absolutely in incredibly difficult um sort of low low and deep in their alcoholism and uh, and who, who I've seen and tried to draw through and everything and some people will not stop cannot stop and do not want to stop and yes. those people will drive themselves into a grave with drink and yeah. other people when confronted they see the value of what they have and they're prepared to give it a go and give it a good go. Those people get support, you know, and it's it's a very, very rocky and difficult road. And but the truth is, you have to decide for yourself how much of you you're going to give because it is not your responsibility to fix somebody else. You know, I know we had the till death do us part. Absolutely. But not if you're racing towards it. You know, I mean, I don't feel that you have an, you know, if you and I were married uh, that or you and I were together, mm -hmm. that that you have an obligation to mind me if I'm not prepared to mind myself. No, there is there is a limit. And like you definitely I would think when you are dating somebody or you are in a relationship with someone that has an addiction issue um, you definitely lose the feeling of united because all of a sudden there's this whole other element to it. You're now kind of responsible for everything on a night out. You can no longer just chill out and enjoy yourself. You're kind of right. looking up going, oh, are they up the bar? Are they ordering shots of whiskey? Why are they ordering like 20 drinks? Why are they were, you know, all of that sort of thing. So you're on watch. You are on watch. Absolutely. And that's so stressful for, for somebody on watch, stressful. How do you have that nice connection when you've lost yes. faith and trust in them? All those things. How do you look forward to like going to nice occasions, to going away for a night away or anything like that? You no longer feel like a priority within the relationship because like the priority is now whatever the substance is. Right. And you just have to be alert all the time. You just, you know, so I can see when we're saying a codependency, I don't always agree and I don't like that word phrase mm. either because actually sometimes you're just exhausted from actually being the adult in the entire situation exactly to, um you know that you're just like i'm not having this conversation again like we've already had this conversation 20 times it's not going to change mm. why am i like I, I don't want to be your mom you know i actually yeah. want to be your equal partner to have this fabulous life together and That's you know right. like let's have the adventure and make our memories together and this is our bloody memory you know yeah so you're right I mean funny we both feel that about the codependent thing I think just let that let that go and really what it's saying is don't make the abnormal normal and because yeah. in a way that's what the codependent does yes. that's in 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 definition terms that's what they would see that they 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 become accustomed to the bad behaviors and they they normalize them in their mind so i would say to people don't don't accept the abnormal um you and make it normal in your mind and and above all else i mean i find myself saying to people you know listen to yourself uh try not to distrust yourself because you're usually right you know that first yeah, thought you have gosh. Trust your gut. We've learned a lot more about that. Write it down. It's important because it, it's 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 
set a little apart from your mind. It's also probably good for you, like journaling. But just take take physical notes of how much drink you're seeing and what it is you're disturbed by. And of course, that's not difficult when it comes to money and all of these things which in gambling. But I think if if I can just say for a moment about secrecy and lies. And then, you know, suspicion. I mean, this, of course, as you said, how can you be close to somebody where you have to mind, watch them like a security guard? Mm -hmm. And of course, if you're watching your money go out the door or rather you're not seeing it go out the door, but you know it's going out the door. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, ultimately people end up with great difficulties financially when the gambling is on, is revealed yes. or the heavy drinking is revealed. Or let me tell you, the sex addiction is revealed because these are very expensive pursuits and yes. very expensive addictions. And I have seen people where somebody has died and then it has all been revealed and there is nothing left. The house they thought that was over them is no longer over them. It is, you know, so you have to protect yourself on this road and uh, don't leave it too late. That would be my, don't yeah. leave it, do it early. Don't do it late. Yeah, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it because get your, get, arm yourself with information, arm yourself with understanding. And um, we, we mentioned at the beginning about loyalty and people feeling, oh, is it disloyal to talk to somebody? You must talk to someone. You must confide in somebody. You Otherwise, you'll go a little crazy in your mind. You, yeah. and, and it's not always the right person isn't always a sister, a brother or or yeah. um, somebody that close, because maybe you do want to keep a little privacy, but find somebody. You have a helpline right there. The HSE yeah. has a helpline where you can talk about, about what you're noticing, what you're seeing. Drug and alcohol helpline, HSE, 1-800-459-459. 459 not even hard to remember yes. and just have that discussion with somebody else. Um, yeah. And remember, if you're afraid of confronting or afraid of having that discussion with your partner, that's a really important thing that you, yes. that fear that you feel is a sign that things are not where they should be. Yeah, there is plenty of, of uh, help out there. Um, the Drinkaware website, drinkaware.ie, they also have a list of all the different helplines. Um, Al-Anon is another one that you spoke about there. So that's A-L-A-N-O-N. -N, that's for family and friends of um, people with um, abuse issues. Um, mm -hmm. We also then have Alcoholics Anonymous, if you think yourself, or if you want to point someone in the right direction. And what was the other one? Is the Rut Rutland Centre, yes, Rutland in Knockline. That's one of the... It's a very um, well-established, long-established mm -hmm. um, treatment centre. And I've always really loved their ethos in yeah. terms of treating people. It's very group-based, very family-based and, and quite rigorous. And then they have a, a two-year aftercare program uh, for when people come out of treatment and they have very good success rates and they've they're very um they're, they're very modern and forward mm -hmm. in their approach would be my view so that's the rutland center knockline i think it's just rutlandcenter.ie I think it's very important to just add here at the, at the end that, you know, as you said throughout this podcast, that your home should be a safe place for you, should be able to close the front door and feel safe there. Um, and especially if there is children involved, you know, and if you're going to listen to this podcast and you have that feeling in your gut of, you know, trouble or unease or that something's not right. There are so many supports out there. Women's Aid as well. I had them on my podcast. I cannot, honestly, I'm I'm absolutely shocked at how amazing a support yeah. they are to women. Um, so please reach out to any of them. Again, reach out to myself and Stephanie at any stage and we'll point you at the right direction as well. Right. Um, as many of you know, myself and Stephanie as well, do our one-to-one 
sessions on Zoom um, and they're completely private, completely confidential. You can talk to us safely as well. So if anybody wants to book in for those, they're half price for the month of June and July. Um, and, you know, we can, we'll discuss through any problems you have and point you in the right direction and help you whatever way we can. And so, yeah, there we, there we go for another week, yeah. Stephanie. Yes, thanks so much, Mairead. And I really hope it's been helpful to people. I know it's a tough subject, but it is the one we have to talk about and we may even have to reel back to it again. Um, Good wishes to everyone. Continue to enjoy the good weather. And uh, you too, Mairead. Yeah, thank you.